To be an Olympic champion, you gotta be the best, which means being number one. But to be number one on this show? Well, that means you're probably kind of the worst, the most tragic, or the most scandalous. So while the best of the best go for the gold during the Olympic Games, we're counting down the crimes and scandals that have rocked the world's most prestigious sports event. Right now, only I know what's number one this week, and I can tell you, it's sadly a deadly tarnish on Olympic history. you weirdos welcome to crime countdown a spotify original from parcast i'm ash and i'm elena every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes all picked by the parcast research gods this episode we're counting down the top 10 olympic crimes and scandals Elena and I were actually just talking about the Olympics the other day. Weirdly we were, enough. weirdly. <laughs> and we were saying that even if you don't think that you're a huge fan of the Olympics, you absolutely turn into one when the season hits and it's like all over TV. Personally, I always find myself sitting there for way longer than I intended, like screaming and rooting for our peeps. It happens every time. Probably, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say like maybe eight out of 10 times, there's going to be some kind of crazy scandal yes. associated with it. And you're just interested to find out like who that's going to be, what that's going to be. Oh, yeah. It's it's the drums that we're really looking for. Mm-hmm. Be it the competition drama, maybe some outside shenanigans. Like I will definitely be talking about a couple of those in a couple of my entries. It's just, it's a bunch of humans we put in a very controlled environment like the Olympic Village. That's a whole different set of like what's going on in there. Oh yeah. And then we're, they're being like, competing against each other after being forced into this like weird little village (laughs) so stuff is going to go down but one thing is for sure my number one is something that absolutely no one would tune in to see yeah i i don't know what your number one is but i i wonder it's it's a rough one well elena has five olympic crimes and scandals and so do i but neither of us knows what's going to be on the other one's list let's start the countdown It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 10. I'll start us off with number 10, the 2002 figure skating fix during the Salt Lake City Olympics. This is a story about a little tit for tat between the French and Russian judges that resulted in the Canadians being robbed, at least at first, of a gold medal. And it really brings up the bigger combo again about nationalistic bias in figure skating judging, aka judges will always score their own countries higher. This scandal involves French figure skating judge Marie-Ren Lagunia and the president of the French Ice Sports Federation, Didier Gaelagay. The International Skating Union ruled that they had colluded to fix the results of the pairs event at the 2002 Winter Games in Salt Lake City. 
Lagunia awarded the Russian pair first place in the free program ahead of the Canadians. She was allegedly instructed by Galagay to do so in exchange for Russian support for French skaters in the ice dancing competition. So kind of like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. With an ice skate. With an ice skate. Ouch, <laughs> that would be horrific. But like, screw the Canadians who actually skated a better program. Not cool, man. Not cool, man. Not cool, eh? Not cool. <laughs> so both were actually suspended from any involvement in international skating for three years afterwards. The entire figure skating voting and point system was revised as a result, but many argue that it still needs work. I also feel like you just shouldn't be able to judge your own country. I think that's just like, that should be 101 of anything like this. It's yeah. like, we all know that we can't, we're going to be biased. Like, that's all a conflict us. of interest. Like, we can all just come together on that. Everyone can agree we're all going to root for our own country. Exactly. Like, they should just sit out when their own country is competing yeah. and then be brought back in. Exactly. It makes more sense. Well, Lagunia has said that she was actually a scapegoat for the widespread problem in the system. It's like, no, you just exploited the loopholes. Yeah, it's like you're not a scapegoat if you were, like, actively part of the whole thing. <laughs> right. She also said that she would still give the Russian pair higher marks than the Canadian pair if she had to do it again. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, stand on that hill. All right. But some good news, the Canadian pair was eventually given gold medals days later after this scandal was exposed. But they didn't get to stand at the top of the podium, so they were robbed of that experience. And that's, like, the huge part of it. Yeah, You exactly. stand at the top of the podium, you get the thing in your hair, you get to have the anthem. Right. Like, it was come on. basically a press conference. Yeah. Now, according to a 2018 Reuters article about Lagunia, she hasn't judged another skating competition since the scandal, which is definitely a good thing. Yes. She also reports that she can no longer even watch the sport on TV. Oh, wah, wah, wah. So sad. Nine. Number nine on our countdown is Loctigate. During the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, U.S. swim team members Ryan Lochte, Jimmy Fegan, Gunnar Bentz, and Jack Conger reported that they had been robbed at gunpoint after a night out. But it turns out that was not true at all. Swimming competitions had wrapped up. Ryan Lochte had just added another Olympic gold medal to his collection. It was his 12th Olympic medal overall. The teammates had been out partying and were headed back to the Olympic Village. They stopped to use a gas station bathroom, which they then vandalized. They broke a mirror and soap dispenser. They also vandalized a poster hanging up outside. Like, why? I remember hearing about all of this and just being like, this is the most senseless thing I've ever heard. Like, you guys are a bunch of jerks. Are you 12? Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, what? What? You're grown Olympians. What is this? And it's like you've trained probably most of your life to get here, and this is what you do with yeah. the opportunity. And you're in another country? Like, what disrespect? Right? It's just out of this world. And then they made things even worse, which is crazy. Making fraudulent claims to authorities about what had happened. No crime had been committed against them. Also, there were security cameras at the gas station. And why would you and not everywhere. expect that? <laughs> exactly. There are security cameras everywhere. Literally everywhere. Lochte was charged in Brazil with falsely reporting a crime, which was later dropped. The U.S. Olympic Committee and USA Swimming suspended Lochte for 10 months and Bentz, Conger, and Fegan for four months. Lochte and Bentz received community service and all were made ineligible for financial support during their suspensions. 
they were also removed from the U.S. Olympic delegation to the White House. Brian Lochte's apology on social media didn't go over well with the public. And then he went on Dancing with the Stars. Redemption. <laughs> there it is. That's what you train your whole life for. Yeah. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of the top 10 Olympic crimes and scandals is... Frederick Lors, the marathon runner who cheated and then basically said, JK, after he got caught. On August 30th, 1904, the Olympics held the men's marathon event in St. Louis. The first to the finish line, Frederick Lors, making it look like he was the official Olympic champion. But while Frederick did in fact run across the finish line, it's not exactly how he got there. Most athletes at the 1904 Olympics were from the US. The Russo-Japanese War and the locations of St. Louis kept most overseas athletes from traveling. This marathon event itself was pretty much a disaster. 32 runners competed, but only a fraction managed to finish, likely due to the heat and the humidity that got into the 90s. Can you imagine having to run like that? No, I don't even like to sit in that kind of way. No, me either. <laughs> I'm definitely not running. No. The race began and ended in the city stadium, but the rest of the course was on dusty country roads. Race officials riding in vehicles ahead of and behind the runners created dust clouds. <laughs> what? You thought that, like, maybe they would figure that out. Where's the logic here? I don't know. The only sources of water for the competitors came at the 6 and 12 mile markers. How is hydration not being taken into account here? This is just, account like, here? torturous. Yeah. So Frederick Lors was a bricklayer by trade, so he could only really train for his run at night. He qualified for the Olympics by running just a five-mile race. Wow. <laughs> what a different time. What a time. <laughs> During the actual Olympic race, he dropped out after nine miles and hitched a ride back to the stadium. Yeah, he did. He literally waved at the spectators and runners during the car ride. Like, yep. not a care in the world. Just like, hey, what's up, guys? And I would probably do the same thing. I'd be like, bye, everyone. Good <laughs> see luck. Ya. But see, you would end it there. Yeah. He did not. He did not. After riding several miles in the car, Frederick Lors re-entered the race and jogged across the finish line. Like, wow, what a turd move. That's a bold move. Let's see if it works out for him. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, Alice, was handing out the medals and was about to give Frederick the gold. But somebody called out his cheating, to which he replied, he was just joking and he wasn't actually going to accept the medal. Comedian. Like, yeah, sure, Freddie. <laughs> Funny enough, Frederick Lors actually did win the Boston Marathon the next year in 1905. Not even as a joke. But I'm like, did you? Did Should you we look know? back into that? Can we check the tapes Roll. from 1905? Roll footage. <laughs> Seven. At number seven this week is the 2016 Rio Olympics bribery scandal. The former governor of Rio de Janeiro, Sergio Cabral, testified in court in 2019 that as many as nine International Olympic Committee members had been paid off to make sure Rio was awarded the 2016 Summer Games, confirming years of accusations and investigations. The decision for the 2016 Olympics host was made in 2009. Rio beat out Chicago, Madrid, and Tokyo to be the host city. The New York Times called it a, quote, surprising decision. At that time, a man named Carlos Nuzman was Brazil's Olympic Committee chairman. 
Cabral said in his testimony that he paid a $2 million bribe to secure the games. And that bribe was negotiated by Newsman and the former president of the International Association of Athletic Federations. Newsman was arrested after an investigation turned up a large increase in his worth. He had a big influx of money that was unaccounted for. They will always follow that cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah, like, who just gifted you $2 million, That's sir? the thing. It's like, come on, you can't hide it. You gotta bury that in your backyard right if you really there. need to do something with it. You gotta Ron it. Swanson it. So shortly after being questioned for the first time about the secret deal, Newsman filed a tax amendment and added $600,000 to his income. <laughs> okay. Not shady at all. Oh, whoopsie. I forgot to carry the one. Yes, very casual. Just a very casual increase of $600,000. Simple mathematical yeah. mistake. Cabral made his testimony while already serving 200 years for various corruption charges. Yes, you heard 200 years. What kind of corruption was he doing? All the corruption, apparently. <laughs> Every corruption that has ever happened. Name he did. a corruption. He's there. Cabral. He also named others who received bribes in relation to this scandal, who all deny his accusations, I'm of course. Sure. <laughs> the investigation into the bribery allegations had been going on for years, so Cabral's testimony is a big deal. Wow, that one was bonkers. <laughs> scandal. Six. Landing at number six is the marathon runner getting tackled at the 2004 Summer Olympics. During the Olympics in Athens that year, Brazilian runner Vanderlei Cordeiro de Lima was leading the men's marathon after 22 miles with four miles left to go when he was tackled by a non-practicing Irish priest who wanted to, quote, prepare people for the second coming. What a time to prepare people. And what a way to prepare people. Yeah, pick a different time. I'm just preparing everybody by knocking this random guy down. Like, what? Wild. <laughs> so when we say tackled, if you see the video, the priest came out of absolutely nowhere and grabbed Delima and sort of pushed him off the track. And then they disappeared into the crowd for a few seconds. This was actually not the first time that this priest pulled this stunt. The Irish Times reported in 2004, he had pulled off about 30 similar stunts. Okay, this is just me. I'm not in a position of power here. Maybe you shouldn't allow him to come to any more races. No! I feel like his time is over. Exactly. He's shown that he can't handle it. Just any race that's going on, just make sure. Like, somebody get to see, like, security. Quick little sweep. Hand his picture out. Yeah, just make sure. Is there a little Irish priest here? We right? need to get him gone. That's so rude. It really is. He also ran onto the circuit at the British Grand Prix in 2003. That's dangerous. Like, that was dangerous for him. <laughs> yeah. He climbed over the towering fences separating the crowd from the race cars and stood in the middle of a straightaway where the cars sometimes reached upwards of 185 miles per hour. Yeah, wherever people are competing in any kind of way, just don't let him near it. No, he held a sign that read, read the Bible, the Bible is always right. His family has said that he suffers from depression and other health conditions, which is sad. Exactly. This 2004 Olympic stunt got him officially defrocked by the Catholic Church. It also cost Delima the gold medal. He finished third, winning the bronze. He appealed, saying that he would have won first, but was denied. Which is not fair, in my opinion. It really isn't. Like, he was literally tackled in the middle of competing. He was 22 miles in, I think it was. 
After 22 miles of running, yeah. you get stopped. I would be. And he had four miles left to go. Uh, no. Like, he should not have been denied. I would be the little angry thing in Inside Out. Like, that would yes. be me. I would become that. Me if, too. Like, after 22 miles of running. I no. got Oh, no. And like we said, like, people prepare for this for, like, Their so whole many years. Yeah. yeah. Well, the priest was arrested, given a fine, and a 12-month suspended sentence by the Greek court. He also made the point that he finds it disappointing that people tend to blame his biblical messages on craziness. Like you might want to go about them a little differently. Yeah, just take a different approach. Yeah. Man. The priest has since said that he regrets his actions and has tried unsuccessfully to apologize to Delima in person. Delima was chosen to light the cauldron at the 2016 Rio Summer Olympics. So at least he got a little bit of a... He got something. I, mean, I was going to say, it's not a gold medal. But... He deserved more. Yeah. That last one just made me sad for him. I know, for everybody, yeah. really. Really, that was a bummer. Like, come on. I knew Ryan Lochte was going to be on here. Ryan Lochte, and what's funny is like... <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> where you're going with I this. used to... John and I watch the Olympics all the time. It's like a huge thing with us. Like I said, we pretend we don't care, and then we care so much. Yep. And I always tried to like get under his skin by being like, ooh, Ryan Lochte, what's up, Ryan Lochte? And then he did that. And it was like egg on my face because oh, yeah. John was like, oh, that's your boy. That was like eggs Benedict <laughs> yeah. just like rubbed in it your face. It was me trying to get a rise out of him. It was like the universe being like, you get punished now for that. <laughs> so Ryan Lochte is not your I'm boy. really glad that I had him on this list. Oh, man. I deserve it. There's one that I'm waiting for that I don't have, which I know has to be on here somewhere. I know exactly which one you're waiting for. And I think I got it. Will you deliver? I will. All right. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of Olympic crimes and scandals. Starting off the second half of our list is Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. That's exactly what I was waiting for. (laughs) What list of Olympic scandals would be complete without this one? The now infamous attack leading up to the 1994 Olympic Games that injured ice skater Nancy Kerrigan and vilified her rival, Tanya Harding. Just weeks before the 94 Winter Olympics in Lillehammer, both Kerrigan and Harding were in Detroit for the U.S. Olympic trials. January 6th, Nancy Kerrigan got clubbed on her right knee with a baton by an assailant hired by Tanya Harding's ex-husband, Jeff Galuli. TV cameras and the media were everywhere that day, but they didn't catch the attack. Cameras did get the immediate aftermath of her crying and repeatedly saying, why? And that footage went everywhere. Uh, Equivalent to a viral video today. Like, I remember this vividly. Oh my God, and this was before you were born. Wow. Yeah. I wasn't even even cooking yet. Yeah, I just had a real moment about that. I remember watching this on TV and her screaming why is the most heart-wrenching thing you will ever hear. I know, and I think like people kind of make fun of it these days. And you're like, no, that's hard. First of all, getting clubbed in the knee must be... The pain she was, like physical pain. And then her whole life had been leading up to this. Exactly. She put all this work into it. Like that's horrible. And she's taken, I mean, some random like dude comes and clubs you over the knee. What? Ouch. I'd be terrified. Like, you know, when you open the car door on your shin and you think that's pain? Try being clubbed in the knee. 
by a Galuli goon. Don't try it. So Kerrigan, who was one of the favorites to win the gold, was unsure if she would be able to compete after being attacked. Days later, four arrests were made, including Jeff Galuli. Harding maintained she had nothing to do with the attack. Kerrigan was back on her skates in time for the Olympics, and the scandal drew the world's attention. Also, how impressive. Well, the, and people wanted to see this play out. Oh yeah, of course. They were ready to see it. They were gonna bring it to the ice, see what happens there. In another famous moment in this whole ordeal, during her Olympic performance, Harding stopped mid-routine and complained to the judges that her lace had broken. She was allowed to restart her routine later in the program, but she only landed half of her triple jumps. That's another thing you remember like vividly from those games is her skating up with her foot in the air and just mm -hmm. her face is like Meh. And didn't she put her foot like on the judges table? She had it like way up in the air and was like Meh. Yeah. Uh, while the world was rooting for Kerrigan, 16-year-old Oksana Bayul wound up winning the gold medal. Kerrigan took home the silver medal and Harding finished in eighth place. Later, Harding would plead guilty to hindering the prosecution. She was fined and eventually banned for life from the U.S. Figure Skating Association. The life banning is so sad it in is, a way. But it's like if she was part of this if, whole thing, yeah. you can't go and start clubbing your competition. No, you certainly can't. Time Magazine quoted Harding from a 2009 interview on The Oprah Winfrey Show, saying, quote, It's part of history that will always be with us, but I'm also noted as the one and only American woman that did the first triple axel, and those are the things that no one can take away from me. I suppose you're right. Yeah. Did you ever watch the movie I, Tanya? I did not. So good. Four. Landing at number four this week is the 2016 Russian doping scandal. The scandal reaches beyond 2016, but that's the year a whistleblower, Dr. Grigory Rodchinkov, brought the world's attention to a state-sponsored doping scandal of major proportions that he had helped oversee in Russia for many years. The state-sponsored program of doping these athletes included giving them a cocktail of three banned substances, as well as swapping in clean urine when the athletes had to give samples for testing. Rachinkov fled Russia after going full narc on the athletes and the country he helped dope up, settling in the US. But immediate consequences included Russia being banned from the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio and the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. With the exception that any athletes determined to not have been implicated in doping were allowed to compete under a neutral flag, no Russian representation. 43 Russian athletes involved in this scandal were given lifetime bans, but many of them were overturned. Per a 2020 update on the fallout from the scandal on NPR, here are some of the weird rules Russian athletes performing at an international level had to follow as a result. Under the terms of the ruling, the word Russia can appear on athletes' uniform as long as the phrase neutral athlete is equally prominent. Uniforms may not bear the Russian flag, but will be permitted to have the flag's colors. The Russian national anthem will not be played or sung at any official event venue. The ruling will affect Russia's participation in the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing, as well as the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. For those events, Russian teams will be banned, but Russian athletes will not. So the Russian anti-doping agency was also charged over one and a quarter million dollars to cover costs of the investigation. 
The Oscar-winning 2017 documentary Icarus depicted Dr. Rodchenkov's whistleblowing acts, so you can add that to your queue if you want to dive even deeper into this one. As late as 2019, the World Anti-Doping Agency continued to monitor and report on Russia's doping issue. I was waiting for that one, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, yep. I had and a it's, feeling. It's Rio, man. So many are coming out of that. Rio is wild. And Three. Number three on our countdown of Olympic crimes and scandals is the Tlatelolco Massacre. The 1968 Olympics were hosted in Mexico City. At the same time, there were many groups in that city very unhappy with the government, and they decided to exercise their right to protest. When they did, the government sent in their Olympic security battalion to stop them, Things turned deadly. The Mexican government spent $150 million to prepare for the Olympic Games. This included a secret government branch for Olympic security, the Olympia Battalion. Why did it need to be secret? Yeah, <laughs> I was actually going to say that. I'm like, can't you just be like, yes, security. Yeah. Yay, keep things safe. The Olympia Battalion is composed of soldiers, police officers, and federal security agents, which seems very military to me. Yeah. Like, uh, like too much. Mm -hmm. This was the late 60s headed into the 70s, when activism was on the rise around the world, and most significantly among student populations. Mexico City was no exception. October 2nd, 1968, 10 days before the start of the Olympic Games, around 10,000 university and high school students gathered in a plaza to protest government actions and listen peacefully to speeches. They chanted, we don't want Olympics, we want revolution. Nothing new for protests. Use the world stage to get your message out. But the government didn't want that image, so they sent in the Olympia Battalion to arrest the leaders of the protest. And for some reason, gunfire begins. Many people are killed, many more wounded, and this includes protesters and bystanders. To this day, no one knows who fired first. According to NPR, 40 years later, the final death toll remains a mystery, but documents recently released by the U.S. and Mexican governments give a better picture of what may have triggered the massacre. These documents suggest that snipers posted by the military fired on fellow troops, provoking them to open fire on the students. So it's like a huge miscommunication and yeah. awful just shenanigans. Well, and the sad thing is it seems like they were like prepared for something to happen, but yeah. then it was like they weren't at all. Because everything just went completely chaotic. Yeah. At the time, reports stated that 20 to 28 died in the incident, but the more accepted estimate is somewhere around 300. Wow. According to the New York Times, the Tlatelolco massacre remains unpunished. To many Mexicans, impunity for that crime echoes the state's failure to bring justice to countless other victims of murder and disappearance. Wow. That's just beyond. Yeah, that was devastating. That's way more than a scandal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that's not the lochty gate that is horrifying. That's taking it to a very dark place. Yeah. And you know what? My number one is even scarier. Oh, somehow. okay. Yeah, I have a pretty scary one to follow yeah. that up with. So looks like we're headed to a dark place. Let's do this.
two. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of Olympic crimes and scandals. At number two is the Centennial Olympic Park bombing. This was first and foremost a domestic terrorist pipe bombing attack on the Centennial Olympic Park in Atlanta, Georgia, during the 1996 Summer Olympics. But after the bomb was discovered by security guard Richard Jewell, it led to accusations of his involvement and a scandal that haunted his life. This is a wild story. It's also such a sad story. So sad. July 27th, 1996, a 911 call comes in that warns there's a bomb in the park. The caller says, quote, There's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. So chilling. So ominous. CNN reports that the call was later determined to come from a payphone near the park. Security guard Richard Jewell finds the backpack with the bomb before it detonates and clears most of the spectators out of the park. Like, incredibly heroic. Yeah. The bomb explodes in less than 30 minutes, killing one person, Alice Hawthorne, and injuring more than 100 others. A Turkish cameraman later died of a heart attack covering the event. The 40-pound bomb had been filled with nails and screws. That's horrific. So scary. Three days later, July 30th, Richard Jewell gets named in a newspaper as the bombing suspect. He denies being involved. He gets investigated by the FBI, and the media aggressively focused on him as the presumed culprit when he was actually innocent. That's so terrible. And especially for something like this, like of this, so drastic. Like a terrorist act, and you were the one to clear the park as much as you did to try to help people? And then, of course, because it's already reported on, people are just going to doubt that no matter what. In October of that year, he finally got cleared as a suspect by the U.S. Justice Department. Following three more bombings in 1997, Eric Rudolph was identified by the FBI as the suspect in February 1998, almost two years later. He went on the run and was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. A rookie police officer was the one to finally arrest him when he spotted Rudolph digging through a dumpster in 2003, and Rudolph was finally arrested. It's a pat on the back for a rookie. Seriously. <laughs> in 2005, he agreed to plead guilty to avoid a potential death sentence. He was sentenced to life without parole, almost 10 years after the attack. A whole decade he got away with it. Crazy. Richard Jewell lived a life of notoriety that he did not care for. The way the media vilified him caused him to be recognized and in turn reminded of the attack for the rest of his life. That's the worst. He died in 2007 due to some serious medical problems and he was only 44. It's like tragic all around. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 Olympic crimes and scandals, the 1972 Munich Massacre. In an attack during the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich, West Germany, the Palestinian terrorist group Black September took 11 Israeli Olympic team members hostage and killed them along with a West German police officer. It shattered what was supposed to be Germany's triumphant return to hosting the Games. But even after the massacre took place, the Olympic Games went on. The last time Germany hosted the Games, they took place in Berlin over 30 years before, in 1936. That's when Hitler and the Nazi party were in control. The Games that year are sometimes referred to as the Nazi Olympics. 
Berlin had hoped the 72 Olympics would give them a chance to redeem themselves and leave the 36 games in the past. According to The Guardian, quote, The event was laden with propaganda, with Germany this time selling itself to the world as a nation of opened-armed peaceniks with a particular dislike for aggressive nationalism. Organizers billed it as the Smiling Games, or the Games of Peace and Joy. And because of the tragic actions during the Olympics in Mexico City, from number three on this countdown, where security actually made things worse, security for the 1972 Olympics in Munich was intentionally light. Which, like, good thought, I suppose, but that definitely left a loophole here. Yeah. The Munich Olympics opened on August 26, 1972. Over 7,000 athletes representing 121 countries were invited. Except Palestine. They wouldn't be invited to an Olympics until 1996. The ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine was the motivating factor here. And the Palestinian group Black September decided to take their fight to the Olympic turf this time. That brings us to September 5th. The Olympics were basically halfway done. Eight members of a military branch of the Palestine Liberation Organization called Black September made their way to the Olympic Village. The Olympic Village being where all the athletes stay while competing. The PLO's main goal is that it wants the liberation of Palestine, and for several years prior, they did so through armed and violent acts. So around 4 a.m. at the Olympic Village, the armed Palestinians breached the apartments of the Israeli athletes. They only needed to climb a relatively short fence and were actually aided by drunk Americans who did not know who they were. Oh, man. Yeah. According to the timeline from The Guardian, the group initially found the coach's apartment, where they shot Israeli wrestling coach Moisha Weinberg and made him lead them to the athletes, which sounds so horrifying. They shoot this person and then yeah. they're like, now bring us to athletes. Right? Like, what? Ugh. Weinberg thought he'd lead them to the wrestlers because they'd be strong enough to take them, but they were all asleep and not alert. In helping one of the other coaches escape, Weinberg was killed, and then weightlifter Yosef Romano was also killed, attempting to take down one of the gunmen. What an absolute nightmare. Chaos. The group then took the remaining nine athletes hostage. So around 5 a.m., they made their demands. In return for releasing the nine athletes, they wanted Israel to release over 230 Palestinian prisoners being held in Israeli jails, as well as two German terrorists. Mm. Doesn't seem like an even trade here. Not at all. They gave a 9 a.m. deadline with the threat that after that, they'd execute one hostage every hour in public. Oh my. So 6 a.m., International Olympic Committee president gets informed about what's happening. What a wake-up call that is. Seriously. He gave the order for the games to continue. Mm, that's a bad choice, I feel. And two hours later, they did continue. Wow. The gunmen then kept extending their deadline, and Olympic events were finally stopped at almost 4 p.m., and the news was out. That must have been the scariest. I couldn't imagine this. No. Soon, negotiations failed, and the gunmen wanted to be taken to the airport to fly to Egypt with the hostages. This gets scarier and scarier. It really does. Arrangements are made, but of course, with plans by authorities to try to thwart the whole thing. And then it all goes to hell. As if it wasn't already there. Yeah, right. The helicopter carrying the gunmen and the hostages lands in the wrong spot. 
No. Blocking at least one sniper's line of shot. Oh, come on. And then at 10.35 p.m., for some reason, German police just opened fire from rooftops and killed two of the hostage takers. A gun battle erupted and left all the hostages, three more Palestinians, and a policeman dead. A mess. Yeah. The, from start to finish. That went the worst it could have possibly gone. So the Olympic Games actually continued after this tragedy. Uh, that's not in good taste. Yeah. A memorial was held, but the International Olympic Committee president at the time said that to stop the games was to let the gunmen win. I I understand, I guess. It's but just such a weird situation. It's like, you don't know what would, yeah. I don't understand and what would honestly, be right Honestly, I wouldn't want to be the person to make that decision. No. The Israeli government ended up hiring agents to track down and kill the Black September terrorists. Steven Spielberg's 2005 movie Munich is actually based on this attack. 20 years later, victims' families finally got more information on what transpired during the entire incident, including the treatment of their loved ones during the incident, which, I first of all, it's been way too long. Yeah. Like, that's too long for well, them to know probably, what's going on. Like, you know, like gone through this yeah. like for 20 years. And gone then through all the grief process right. and then having to open it up again. Right. Ugh. Well, German authorities released hundreds of pages of reports that they previously denied even existed. Wow. This yeah. whole thing just continued to be a mess. Horrific even after, from start to finish. Yeah, exactly. I would say that that is number one through ten. Yep. I would say. I would definitely say that the podcast research gods put Got that it where right. it was supposed to be. They definitely did. Nothing else could have been. That's the worst. It's so crazy because when you think about the Olympics, like you don't think about all of these different things. Yeah. In fact, some of these I actually didn't know about. I think you probably think mostly like the Nancy Kerrigan, yep. Tanya Harding thing. The Ryan Lochte thing. The Lochte gate thing. Yep. The doping scandal, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, it, you forget about all like the real tragedies that yeah, happened. Absolutely. But I can't think of anything they left off this list. Neither can I. And I kind of hope that there's not any more I know, things it's sad. to add to a list like this. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which we hope you do, you can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast and on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Anthony Valsic. Research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. Fact-checking by Kara McIrween. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Mm-hmm.